0: Hello, hello, Mitch Michaels here, Money Mitch Effect. It's another edition of what should be your favorite podcast. It's mine, I'm biased, but thank you for joining me. we got a great show for you planned today. A couple good guests. First up, Brandon Marcus returns to the show, host of the Mostly Banner Podcast. We're going to talk the first two games of the World Series, what a... Turn of events took place in Game 2. Astros and Dodgers are tied 1-1. to Game 2 was immaculate. We're going to break that down. We're going to talk about Joe Girardi being out of manjaro of the Yankees. And we're going to talk about the NFL. It's been an interesting year. A lot of ups and downs for a lot of teams. Not that many great teams. We're going to break down some contenders, some pretenders, and preview our favorite matchups on the Week 8 slate in the NFL. And then Matt Wittenberg rejoins the show to talk college football. The rankings have some constant adjustments with Notre Dame shellacking USC, Penn State beating Michigan. The big games this weekend, Penn State, Ohio State headlines that, but also a lot of other good games, a lot of other good ranked matchups. Matt Wittenberg will break all of that down. It's a Money Mitch effect, and it starts right now. Happy Friday. All right, now joining me on the Money Mitch Effect, good friend of the program, recurring guest, host of the Mostly Banner podcast, my friend and hopefully yours, Brandon Marcus. Brandon, thanks for rejoining the show. It's uh, an October weeknight. We got a lot going on. Thanks for taking the time to appear on the show.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's your best intro yet when you uh, said a friend of mine, a friend of yours as well. I like that one.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying a lot of catchphrases and seeing what sticks, but I'll definitely uh, take the positive feedback for further uh, analysis. We'll yes, see keep that. Power. Okay, for no, sure. I, I believe it. I think it might be a winner. Uh, but in all seriousness, Brandon, this is as good a time of the year as there is. We've got all of the four major sports going on, a, a lot of excitement. And it's headlined by baseball, and especially baseball in this town, the town that we both live in, Los Angeles, Dodgers and Astros in the World Series. We both said going into the playoffs that the talent level was pretty high, that you know the, the best of the best were there. There wasn't any fluky teams that kind of got hot and stole a playoff bid. Dodgers-Astros on the surface, Brandon, has all the talent you would want, and through two games, it's certainly living up to it. Oh, 100%. I
1: mean, we knew we were going to get two talented teams from the lineup to the starters to the road mean to the bullpen not so much in game two um, towards the end of it but we knew we're gonna get two squads that were young and hungry and it's been fun and I I love it I mean you can't ask for much more especially that game two that had basically everything including things you had not seen including an umpire getting drilled a fan falling into the bullpen a ball hitting a hat that would have been either a triple or an inside the Parker. It had everything.
0: But well, did he fall that fan or did he try to get there and uncoordinated or I mean, was he too
1: uncoordinated to uh, make a run at anybody? I don't know. Uh,
0: that's...
1: <laughs> I think it was a combination of both because it looked like he was committing towards jumping over, but halfway through, I think he was like, Oh, this might be a bad idea, but it was too late and he already fallen. <laughs> and Craig Jornson who's the bullpen coach for uh, the Astros who's a former minor league pitching coach, was right there to make sure the guy didn't go a single step. It was yeah. great.
0: It's very nice, too. I can think of some sports, sporting events, some, some eras in the past where they wouldn't have caught the guy and made sure he didn't go anywhere. They might have <laughs> done a little damage to him as well. But the thing I like about baseball, Brandon, is that one thing can really alter an entire game, an entire series, and no two games are ever the same. We're seeing that in this series. Game one, one of the fastest baseball games I've ever seen. Playoffs or not. Two and a half hour game. Dodgers win. Kershaw was brilliant. A couple long balls were the difference. And then game two, which you alluded to, which set the record for most home runs in a World Series game ever. It's seven to six. Both bullpens fail down the stretch. The Astros rally to tie in the ninth. They take the lead. The Dodgers rally to tie again. And ultimately, some home runs by some star players make the difference for the Astros. But I got to think going into Game 3, after what went down in Game 2, there's a real belief for the Astros because not only did they win, not only did they rally, Brandon, but their stars are hitting. And it's what you need this time of year, when you have Altuve and Correa leading the charge and Springer, I think that makes a difference.
1: Oh, 100%. There's no doubt that the final couple of innings got the Astros back in this series because they were one inning away from going down 2-0, having their top four guys do absolutely nothing offensively, and then all of a sudden they broke out, and it could not have been a bigger ninth, 10th, and 11th inning for Correa, Springer, Altuve, especially Altuve. He was completely lost. You and I were texting back and forth. He was not swinging at pitches that he should be swinging at, and he was going after pitches that weren't even close. And he wasn't gained the benefit of many calls. Um, I think he got a strike call them that, uh, called on him that was a ball. And surprisingly, not many pitches are too low on him. But there was a pitch that was too low. But, th- dude, that was enormous. Because this series was pretty close to over, considering that you threw Verlander. And it would have been a loss with him. And going down 2-0. And I get that Houston obviously has a tremendous home field. Normally home field doesn't mean that much in baseball, in my opinion. But Houston, for some reason, obviously they were down 3-2 to the Yankees, went back to Houston, won both those games. I think there's something special about Minute Maid and especially about the city of Houston with all that's been going on.
0: Yeah, still to this point, uh, you to lose a playoff game there. I I agree. If they lose this game, you have to beat not only any team, but this Dodgers team four out of five times you don't have – you know, your biggest pitching guns as well. They needed it, and they got it. And they got it, Brandon, on Kenley Jansen, who, who, look, he pitched earlier, you know, the night before to win closeout game one. He goes in for a long save in game two. There's a lot that you can question, and I know it's easy to play, you know, Monday morning quarterback and second guess uh, what a manager in baseball does because there's a lot to do in that role and a lot to be second guessed. But do you question, you know, bringing him in for a long save? Maybe bringing taking Hill out of the game early. Do you agree with what Roberts said, or do you think there's a lot to uh, second
1: guess here? It's funny because you can see, second guess a lot of it. When Hill was pulled initially, I was a little skeptical, wondering what they were doing because he had been wild. There's no doubt about that. He he wasn't pitching as well as his line indicates. He was missing his spots. He was getting some help by Astros that were swinging out of the zone. Missing pitches they shouldn't be missing. But that being said, I mean, I get the whole analytics side. I mean, that's where that's why the Dodgers are here, man. They're here because they followed analytics. And Dave Roberts's analytics told him that Maeda has been unbelievable against right-handed batters. And so in that situation, you've got to bring in Maeda. You get the righties, which worked, by the way. The only issue was towards the back end when all of a sudden – you had Morrow, who didn't get a batter that he should have gotten. You had Ross Stripling, who came in and threw four balls out of the zone, and that was it for him. I mean, that's that's probably the guy that killed them, was Ross Stripling, because you don't send him out there for one batter. You're anticipating he's going to give you, hopefully, an inning, but he didn't. And so, because he gets pulled, it screws up your bullpen. Morrow has to come in earlier. That means Jansen has to come in earlier, and... It all aligns still the way that Dave Roberts wanted them to, but it's just a matter of the chips not working out for them when normally it will. Yeah, and I think pulling Hill, a lot of people were critical of that move.
0: I actually wasn't because, like you said, he was wild early, and the Astros were, in many instances, one hit, one walk away from really busting it open and putting it out of reach early. Their issue is, and I I agree, they follow analytics, and and they do what got them here, and they trust the system. Brandon, their issue is lack of depth in that bullpen. And I don't know what else they could have really done other than execute earlier, as you said, with the guys they have. I don't think either of us are going to disagree with the sense that If they go, if the Dodgers go into games that go 10, 11, 12 innings, they're probably not going to win. They're just not built for it.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, we've said before the playoffs that the Dodgers are a team that doesn't have a great bullpen Once you get past those first couple of guys, I mean, I'm telling you, I said initially I didn't like the Dodgers. When you came on the podcast, when I was talking to you and we we were discussing the playoffs and what was going to happen, I said to you, the issue with the Dodgers, I don't love their bullpen. And I look like a freaking idiot through the first several games, obviously, of this playoffs because their bullpen's been unbelievable. You go to your righty Maeda, you bring in your lefty Singrani. You go to your righty Morrow, you go to your lefty Watson, and you go to Jansen. That's all you need. But the issue is that those lefties are only going to get one or two batters, and then the rest of your bullpen's not very good. And we saw that yesterday.
0: Right, it is. It's a math problem, but if one thing disrupts it, you know, it changes everything. It could mess with the solution. Still talking to Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch effect. And now we go to games three, four, and five in Houston. Starts tomorrow, today, actually, the time you're listening to this on Friday. But, Brandon, this is an interesting thing now, three games in a row. And, and I don't by any means think that the Dodgers are now doomed for losing a game. It's a, it's a tight series between uh, two good teams. But now we go to Houston. Now the Dodgers, dare I say, for the first time all postseason are facing adversity. How do you think they'll respond in game three?
1: It'll be interesting because it's you, Darvish, a guy that they traded for this exact situation And let's not forget, the Dodgers had a chance to get Justin Verlander. They had a chance to get the guy that pitched against them in Game 2, but it just didn't work out with the prospects that Detroit wanted. And so all of a sudden, you go and you get you Darvish for this exact situation. You need another pitcher that you can trust outside of Kershaw. And so you send Darvish out. And the one question mark for me, Mitch, is that I don't know how Lance McCullers is going to do. Because Lance McCullers was tremendous the first three months of the season. And then he got hurt. And he just wasn't the same. Because right before he got hurt, I don't know if he was actually injured before he went on the DL. But he was put on the DL, came back, wasn't the same guy. But he was tremendous in relief when they needed him against the Yankees. So the question is, which McCullers are you getting? And that's the key for the Astros. Because if McCullers struggles they're in some trouble because I don't love Charlie Morton. Even though Morton did well um, in Game 7, I don't love him in Game 4. So you have two starters here that you can't really say 100% that you love. While the Dodgers can say that they love you, Darvish. And perhaps, perhaps, they love Clayton Kershaw in Game 4. That's
0: interesting. I want to touch on that in a second. But if I am Dave Dave Roberts here, I'm... I'm Keeping it 100 percent positive. We lost a tough game to a good team. You know they clawed their way back. They were close. If we rewatch that game, we'll see a couple hits, a couple swings. Bellinger almost winning it. You know on a swing in the ninth inning as well. Um, yeah. I think they're. You know they were a couple of just plays of not executing away from the game. They have the pitching lining up. And in Houston's case, they're singing the praises of our bats. Woke up. We're going to start hitting now. We hit on the road. We hit just as good in our home park. But the Kershaw factor is interesting. I was thinking about this the other day, too. What What is the play for Kershaw? I don't know if it's game four. I, the more I think about it, Brandon, I'm thinking it might be a page out of the Bumgarner book from Two World Series ago where you tried him out for a game five, and if it goes seven, you have him in the bullpen. It just seems like, especially given what Dave Roberts has done with Kershaw in the past, it seems like that's what the Trek's going to be, assuming we get to a game six
1: and seven. Yeah, I would agree with you because let's say you lose Game Three. By the way, the Dodgers still have the much better bullpen. I mean, there's no question about that. The Astros yeah. not <laughs> anything thus far in this series that they have a single guy that they can trust. Will Harris was good, but there's still not a guy in that bullpen because now that your closer is getting lit up. And I got to tell you, Davinsky did not look good. Even though he did end up getting the uh save slash, I think it's actually he got the win. Yeah. Uh, Even though he got the win, he just did not look good. He was lucky to get out of that inning um, in the bottom of the 10th, I think it was. And I just don't trust anybody there. So the Dodgers still have the better bullpen, but the thing with Kershaw is, let's say you lose game three, and then you don't send him out there for game four. The thinking is, okay, maybe Rich Hill will have, I mean, sorry, Alex Wood will have the better matchup against Charlie Morton. But if you lose that, Then you're counting on Kershaw winning Game 5 and then going back to L.A. for Game 6 and 7. So it's tough because you're obviously rolling the dice by not sending Kershaw out there for Game 4. If you lose Game 3, there's no way he appears in Game 4 if they win Game 3 Yeah. because there's no need to do that. But I still think that Dave Roberts trusts his guys enough where he can keep Kershaw, the ace in the hole, there for Game 5.
0: Yeah, it, it remains to be seen. It's exciting. It's fascinating to watch, and I agree. The back ends of both of these bullpens, not just the Dodgers. I mean, they looked like they were throwing batting practice last night <laughs> late into that game. It was it was tough to watch. I think this is going to be a war of attrition. Uh, I'm excited. I think we got, you know, I'm, I'm a little upset still that the Indians aren't in it, but we got two great teams. It's going to be great to watch this unfold. What do you think, Astros or Dodgers? Though I mean, we might—we're probably not going to chat on here before uh, this wraps up. But who do you think ultimately uh, hoist the crown? Astros first time ever,
1: or Dodgers first time in about thirty years. Well, considering I picked Nationals versus Indians in the World Series, I could say that my uh, my prediction means jack diddly squat. <laughs> um, there, I can, can't pick worth a damn. Um, I'll tell you this: I have no idea, but I'll tell you that if it's going to be the Dodgers it's going to be in seven if it's the Astros it's going to be in six okay so I'll tell you that because I think that if the Dodgers have to go back home um I and they're not winning three two I think it's going to go game seven
0: yeah yeah no I I would
1: I would agree if it goes to a game seven even
0: if the Astros come back up three two I like the Dodgers uh, if they win game six to go on and win game seven I like to think that my bracket just got busted by a little hometown bias because
1: I got just about every other pick. No right way! Now. No way! <laughs> you legit picked the team that was built. I, mean, the- <laughs> <laughs> I know. The I know. A better bullpen. The offense is better than most of these squads, but you guys just just don't have a guy like Justin Turner who is coming up big in every single situation that the Dodgers need him to.
0: I love Terry Francona. I don't want to harp on the fact that i'm a little disappointed with the management of the bullpen but hey that's for another time i like the dodgers to win this series in seven games that's going to be what i'm saying um i think they're the slight edge i think they're able to win a game in heat. it'll probably come back three two uh with la down and i think they'll find a way to grind it out at home so i'm looking
1: forward to it i think it's gonna be the exact same situation i think the dodgers will win in seven um, if it is like that, the Astros are three two. I don't think it's going to go back to L.A. with the Dodgers up three two. I just don't see that. So I think it's, it'll be the Astros in six, or the Dodgers in seven. If it comes back to
0: L.A. three two, and I know you know we're in the World Series and anything can happen, but that that environment in Game six when you're up three two, that's going to be very festive. You know, you're down three two. That that crowd's going to be
1: really nervous and anxious the whole way through. But I think it's the opposite too. You can look at it both ways because if the Dodgers. Are on the brink of losing Game Six, all of a sudden everyone gets real yeah, nervous right, because at the Is yeah. around the corner and the Astros could win that one too. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to it.
0: I think we'll be uh, we'll be watching every every at bat, so we'll see what happens. Dodgers, Astros, one one. A lot more baseball to be de- determined to see who wins the World Series. All right, Money, Mitch, Effect, Brandon, Marcus. Lastly, going to spend a couple minutes on the NFL, Brandon. It has been an interesting year, and by interesting. I think I mean medi- mediocre. Mediocre. How do I say it? Mediocre? Yeah. It, it's just not yep. been great. It has not been great at the top. This time of year, week eight, and you know, you've know, you been watching as much football as I have over the years, we can normally say, all right, these are the best teams. These teams look a cut above. I don't know that there's one team, all due respect to the Eagles, that I could say, man, they are just a cut above. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, and I keep doubting the Eagles. Each week, I really do not them I don't know why but this team's really good like they are really good and I think it's safe to say that right now they are the best team in the NFL they just have that balance of both defense and offense you thought the defense would be bad because they kept losing guys in the secondary not the case Um, but you're right there's not a single team because normally it's let's look at the Patriots because the Patriots are normally the team that's dominating everybody you can look at the Dallas Cowboys with Zeke and Dak last year they're at Green Bay with Rodgers. Normally, Chiefs have lost two straight, too. Yeah, they <laughs> really one of those teams that sticks out. But this year there isn't because the Patriots have been terrible. Rodgers is hurt. I mean, the NFC East is a crap shoot. There's no team that's really dominating. Even Seattle isn't looking as good as they normally look. So it's it's an up-and-down year for a lot of teams. And just when you think you have it figured out, you don't have it figured out. Because watch Kansas City play against Denver this week, and Denver beat Kansas City. Just, just after Denver lost the Giants on Sunday mm-hmm. football. It's just that kind of league.
0: The only thing you can really count for sure is just how bad the Browns are going to be.
1: <laughs> and but, the
0: 49ers. Yeah, 49ers can keep it close on, on on most weeks, I'll say. Not so much this week, but they've had a couple of close games in there. Uh, I don't want to hate the Eagles, too. It's remarkable what they've done. They've proven a lot of people wrong through seven games, but here's the thing for me. The injuries make up make a dent in your success and they lost Peters on a line that needs some help and another big defensive injury along with that but in addition to it I just don't know that I trust a team when I'm not entirely sold on the running game and I think that's where I'm at with the Eagles but given the landscape they can certainly make a run as far as all the way uh in the you know in in I guess the biggest thing I'll say is with Rogers injury that was a game changer because we thought we had a team with you know, the best quarterback or one A, one B with Brady that had it all figured out. He goes down, they lose two straight. And the Falcons. I mean, I don't know what to do with that team, Brandon, because I feel like I'm going crazy saying it week in, week out. I think talent wise, they're as good as any team in the league, and yet offensively, they just don't have an identity. And it's it seems like blasphemy to say that, but it's true.
1: Yeah, and they started three and and0 and here they are sitting at three and three. This week's huge for them because they're going to the Jets and they've got To show up. I mean, there's got to be some sort of offense there. Because Matt Ryan has not been the same. Clearly, this is an instance where the offensive coordinator was very, very important for a quarterback. And with Kyle Shanahan gone, i got to tell you, Sark is not cutting it. Sark is awful as offensive coordinator. I mean, Freeman and Coleman, you're not really hearing those guys much when they were tremendous last year. Julio Jones has not been as productive as he can be i mean they don't really have a second receiver sanu's been good but he's been hurt um so yeah and their defense also has been terrible by the way that's one thing that's been really surprising because that defense you expect a lot from and the defense has been bad so everybody's really falling apart and that's why they're sitting at 500 yeah i want my uh,
0: wins above sark's stat because it's just Sark- not good it is it's You're not working. Right there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. We got some. You got an SC fan on the line. So, yeah, I think we know what he can do or what the rest of the team can do without him. I'll tell you one team, though, Brandon, that I'm pleasantly surprised by. I've made a lot of predictions before the season started, and most of them are bad. But I got to say, I'm feeling good about thinking the Saints would be a pretty good team right about now. I just like the identity, given the climate, given the Falcons' struggles, Tampa Bay and Carolina are, are struggling. I think the Saints at least know what they're good at.
1: Yeah, and they've figured out their offense. I mean, they know they can use Kamara. They know how to use Ingram. Um, They got rid of AP because that was just a cluster.
0: Hey, and by the way, Brandon, who has been the best free agent signing, maybe value-wise, money to production in all the NFL going into this year so far? Who? Ted Ginn Jr. You think so? They got him for nothing. And, yeah, I I, I think I'm talking, like, value. (laughs) They're better free agents that have signed. But there is something, and I bring this up, I interject, because it was brought up that Breeze needs that vertical threat, somebody to stretch the defense to make the whole system work. He well, he had Cooks, yeah. and, so, and Cooks was gone, obviously. So you replace him with a much cheaper player, and i got to say again, not dropping the ball nearly as much. I think he's been equally as impressive in getting rid of AP and shoring up that defense. They drafted a lot of players in their secondary over the last couple of years. I don't think they're a great team, but are they good enough to win this division, make a run in the playoffs? I think absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, the one thing is, it's funny because I had Ted Ginn on a couple of fantasy football teams. And I've dropped him, and then of course he's been good recently. But uh, I, I like what they're doing. Still question that defense. I, it's, it's good. Um, they obviously had like three defensive touchdowns in that Lions game, which was crazy. But I still don't think they're good enough, and their division, man, their division's tough. Because Carolina, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, those teams—none of them—are an easy game, and so it'll be survival the fittest uh, in the NFC South. No, we figure Atlanta will will turn it around and eventually
0: wake up. Although we've you said that think. before. I mean, they don't—they lose this week, they get swept by the AFC North, which is yeah. insane to think about. But there's that team. There's the Seahawks, who you mentioned that they're four and two. But we look at this team for what they are, Brandon. I think I could say that for just about everybody that watches them play: um, a great defense, an exceptional quarterback that makes plays, but a terrible line and a running game that just isn't there. And a lot of that is injuries. But the Seahawks, another team that knows what they're good at. But you got to get you got to get the sense that one more injury, one you know, one big uh, one big injury, and it could all fall apart.
1: Weren't we just talking about the Seahawks before the season as the best defense and how nobody's going to score a single point on them? And then all of a sudden, the Seahawks are nothing. I mean, they're, they're not that scary. I mean, what, what happened? happened? I don't know if it's age. I don't know if
0: it's wear and tear. But I do know that when your offense is getting pushed around, when you're having to be on the field as much as they are, I think that's what happened to Denver. You know, Simeon's like injury and
1: in Seattle. Yeah. Every year we talk about Russell Wilson being chased. There's not been a single year in the last like three or four seasons where we don't talk about how Russell Wilson's running for his life. But somehow the Seahawks got it done.
0: Wear and tear, man, that's what I'm saying. I think eventually it catches up to you. They're not as young as they once were, and there hasn't been enough progress on the offensive side of the football. That's that's the only thing I can say to explain it. I mean it's they they're four and two. They looked good against the Giants last week, a terrible Giants team. But 4-2, and, and they could be 2-4. and four. I mean, they won some really close games. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, Pete Carroll's a good coach. He can win the close ones. But this team is a flawed team, but still a team that I think is capable of making a deep run.
1: This week will be fun, though, because Deshaun Watson comes to town.
0: He so does. And, and they got an increase. They got their lineman Browns back on the team.
1: Um, I think that'll be a good game.
0: I still chat in NFL with Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch effect. I do, unfortunately, have to talk about a team that – is probably back and still probably the number one threat to the Patriots in the AFC, and that's the Steelers, Brandon. It wasn't that long ago when we were writing this team off or getting destroyed by the Jaguars, but back to back wins over the Chiefs and Bengals have gotten them back to the top of the conference. I don't know if this is a good team, a bad team, or just a team that can't play against bad teams, but the Steelers, when they're on, you know, they're pretty good.
1: <laughs> They've always been that way, where they can't play against bad teams. I don't know what it is, but the last, like, handful of years they win the games that you think are going to be close and they lose the games that they're expected to win by eight to ten points i think they've killed survivor survivor pools the last two years because they lose in games that they're not supposed to lose because you get all up on them and then they bring you right back down and it's just the way they kind of are but this is a team that's built for this type of season where there's no real team that stands out their defense is much better than normal um, I think Watts a huge addition for them and their offense man as long as you've been and you have Bell and Brown and then now Juju Smith has been really good for them I mean it's too bad that Martavis Bryant such a head case because he would be an amazing addition to that offense if he could actually stay on the field with his head focused and contribute but nonetheless they've got Bell and Brown and they've got a good defense that is hungry they're they're dangerous
0: have you ever heard of a starting receiver on a 5-2 team who just came back from suspension demanding a trade?
1: <laughs> no, and it's so weird. It just It shows you the opposite of a team player, and also it shows you that this is a guy that is not completely bought in because if he was, he would understand that he's already been suspended. He's now on a team that's winning, and he has a chance to win, and he just doesn't care about that. He cares about himself, and that shows you that he doesn't belong in that locker room, and credit to Mike Tomlin.
0: Yeah, I think the only reason they haven't made him inactive or borderline cut him is to see if there is value for him because Bryant is a good player, but yeah, he's just not buying in, and there really isn't room for that on any team, especially that organization. Well, there are uh, some big games this week, Brandon, and we mentioned a few of them. There's uh, some interesting games that catch my eye, but what's one that we haven't talked about that catches yours? What do you think the game of the week
1: is? Assuming we haven't already mentioned it. I think Dallas-Washington. I, I think this is a game that we'll get to see um, how good is Kirk Cousins. Um, we'll get to see Chris Thompson because he's been incredible for Washington. Uh, Dallas, obviously, with Dak and Zeke. Uh, I think that's the game right there. It tells you a little bit about the NFC East. I know the Eagles aren't playing in that game. But it does give you an idea of who's there and who's ready to uh, to be the top of the class, if you might say.
0: Yeah, and I know we mentioned a couple other games. That's a really good one. It's, it's trying to see who still has playoff aspirations. Redskins 2 back to the Eagles this year. Cowboys haven't played them. Underratedly, I, I like Bills Raiders, and I'll tell you why. Because the Raiders were this uneven team that got to 2-4 and four and basically saved their season. The Bills aren't supposed to be here, but this has a feel of a game that is going to be one that puts a nail on the coffin of whoever loses this team. I don't know that the Bills want to be losing this game at home to the Raiders and still consider themselves a legit playoff team.
1: Yeah, the Raiders need to win this game. Uh, I mean, I don't know what's going on with them because they have not been as good as they're capable of being. And when it comes to the Bills, you talk about how they don't want to lose this game. Well, they have the Jets next week, but after that, they've got New Orleans, they've got the Chargers, Kansas City, New England. they got New England one more time after that again. I mean, you do have Indy, and then you have Miami twice. But nonetheless, it's it's a tough schedule. And uh, if you're Buffalo, this is a game you want to win. At home, you're a two-and-a-half-point favorite. But if you're Oakland, this, this is the type of game that Derek Carr wins. And I think this is the game that Oakland goes into Buffalo and beats them. They get to 4-4. Four and
0: four. Maybe the Broncos beat the Chiefs. And suddenly, look who's back in the divisional race. And let's, let's say the Chargers beat the Patriots. Then we have a complete cluster. So. Right. Who knows? The other one too is Panthers Bucks because I have a feeling that's an all hands on deck stop the bleeding game. Whoever loses that game is in bad bad trouble.
1: Yeah, that's that's a big game. I mean, that's that we were talking about the division a little bit earlier um, about how Carolina, Tampa Bay, they're right there with Atlanta and New Orleans, and I think it's safe to say that both of us think that Atlanta and New Orleans are probably the top two teams in that division. But Cam Newton, what's he gonna do? I mean, this is another week where. He's been in the news because of how he deals with the media. How is he going to respond? It'll be a good matchup between Cam and Jameis. Um, I think one more matchup, by the way, that I think will be interesting. We talked about Pittsburgh a little bit, but Pittsburgh at Detroit. Because Detroit seems to be a pain in the ass team. And going to Detroit, I'll be curious to see uh, how the Lions do after their bye week against Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, This is it. We're at week eight now, pretty much the halfway. Uh, getting there so a lot of teams have a lot to play for and we always like to wrap up uh, these NFL segments Brandon with a new thing this year with where we were wrong you know I'm wrong a lot so it was easy for me to just come up with this segment idea but in the last week or maybe a seasonal trend what's something you think you know you learned hey I might have been wrong with what I thought maybe a preseason prediction or just a natural trend in the NFL season
1: Ooh, that's a good one I think I'll just stick with the fact that I thought the Eagles were going to end up in third or fourth in that division I just didn't think Carson Wentz was that great. I didn't think the receivers were very good. Aguilar was terrible last year. Um, I didn't think the defense was very good. Uh, I just did not think that they'd be able to compete with Dallas or Washington. And here they are sitting at 6-1. and one. So I was very, very wrong about the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, for me,
0: it would be easy to say the Falcons, even up until last week. I said, all oh, it's calm, it's fine. And then, you know, they get destroyed by the Patriots. But how about this on the positive side? I was wrong about the Vikings, and I was specifically wrong about that running game. I thought it would be dead to rights when Cook goes out. They've actually increased their production. Watavius Murray has woken up, McKinnon, they have a two headed monster.
1: Just Mike Zimmer, I just think he's a great coach. He's tremendous. And it's they're talking about the network earlier today that you lose Teddy Bridgewater. And what do you do? Okay, we'll bring in Sam Bradford. You lose Bradford? Oh okay, we'll bring in Case Keenum, no worries. Oh, uh, We lose Dalvin Cook, Oh, that's no, all good. We got, uh, we got Murray and we got McKinnon. So credit to the depth of that organization, credit to the GM, credit to the owner, but a big, big amount of that credit goes to the head coach. Zimmer's been absolutely tremendous in keeping these guys focused, not worrying about injuries, because there are other teams that are sitting there, like Green Bay, lose their quarterback, and okay, season's over. I mean, it seems like with Minnesota, a bad injury happens, and they're not worried about it. They just move on. And say, who's next? Yeah, they're a great coach team.
0: And the Vikings at 5-2. and two, Another team throwing their hat in the race for making uh, a potential Super Bowl run. It's a wide-open NFL year. But Brandon Marcus, this was fun. We'll catch your stuff on the Mostly Banner podcast. Uh, unless I'm talking to the future manager of the New York Yankees. I don't know.
1: Dude, I, are you surprised about that? Because I know I sure was. I, I get the bad, uh, the bad non-replay decision. I think it was in Game 2. I understand that, but... This is a guy that took a team. You talk about mm-hmm. where you I was ready to say that the Yankees were going to win 75 to 80 games at most this year. And mm-hmm. not even close to the playoffs. He came one win away from the pennant. And you're going <laughs> to...
0: Now, I was surprised. I'd say borderline shocked when it first broke. But then I read the story. It wasn't a firing. It was a not bringing back. And I think it was a disagreement where Girardi might have been the most vocal. We don't know the backstory. But he is, I agree, one of the best managers. Took this team to higher heights than they could have imagined. Best record in baseball in his tenure, which was nine years. That's a long time. It was probably time for a change, a new relationship. I think he might have said, look, I would rather go somewhere else, maybe Washington, and yeah. and start there. I think he knows how good he is, and he might have not fought for his job enough knowing that. But it, it is a little startling. I don't oh, know. A team on the up and who they're going to replace him
1: with. Why wouldn't you fight for your job when you know you have this great team that has a chance to go to the World Series next year? I mean, you have this young, up-and-coming team. You have a very good foundation. You have an owner that's willing to spend. I mean, why would you want to leave? I mean, that doesn't make any sense
0: to me. Should we ask Mark Jackson when we get a chance?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
0: these things happen. They're hard to explain, but they do happen, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. yeah, but all right. Or Rand- Jackson, just gonna bring them over the hump, I mean, and then here comes Kerr, and Kerr put, put them over the hump and then some.
0: What a coaching career, <laughs> just all finals and championships. Yeah, uh, incredible. But all right, Brandon Marcus, this was fun. Uh, we'll definitely be doing this again. Uh, good luck with everything, and I know you got a, a big birthday coming up, so uh, good luck with that too.
1: Yeah, thank you, my man. Always uh, fun appearing on your pod. Great to talk baseball, basketball, football, whatever it might be. It's always fun talking with you.
0: Sure is. Thanks again for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Alright, huge thanks to Brandon Marcus. Reminder, check out his podcast, Mostly Banner, uh, where all podcasts are found. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, an interesting first two games. We'll see what happens in the remainder of the World Series, what happens with Joe Girardi and the Yankees future, and the NFL season. So, Thanks again to Brandon. All right, now it's time to talk to Matt Wittenberg on the Money Mitch Effect college football. We preview a big slate of games. We recap last week. We talked about the rankings, a really, really early playoff picture. And we get ready for a run of college football that is unlike any other November college football is on deck. One last weekend in October. It's Matt Wittenberg, college football on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, time to talk college football and the Money Mitch Effect. Joining me now, friend of the program, recurrent guest, Matt Wittenberg. I had to catch him on a night uh, where we had a travel day of the World Series and confirm now, not the fan that jumped into the bullpen of the Astros.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how about that guy, man? I I don't, I can't tell you any situation where I'd be like compelled to do that, but hey. You guys, fifteen minutes. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure if he'll ever be allowed in Dodger Stadium again. <laughs>
0: probably <but. laughs> not. Pay, yeah, if I pay a thousand dollars, that's what I should do. That's probably his <laughs> way of thinking. I should be allowed to do this. Uh, but
2: yeah, good good call catching me on the on the travel night. So uh, still reeling a little bit from last night's roller coaster, but you know it's a long series.
0: That it is. That it is. And Matt, we're glad you're here to talk college football. A lot to discuss. We're we're about to embark in a journey of I think twenty plus days, twenty five straight days of some form of football, college or pro. It's that time of year. A lot of that is my November th- weeknight action, so you know we can thank them for that <laughs> for the real glory here. But a lot to talk about from last week and some big games this week in college football, Matt. I want to start with. The tale of two teams, and that was last week you saw the best team in the country and maybe the most dysfunctional unit in the country. Alabama destroyed Tennessee on primetime. Bama is just just hitting their group. It doesn't even look like they're breaking a sweat when they do it. On the other side, I gotta start with them. How is Tennessee still in this position where Butch Jones has a job?
2: I don't I feel like that they're thinking might be just at this point the season's already lost and They don't want to bring in an interim guy right now and may as well just let butch ride out the ship for the year that's my only explanation i feel like that they should just cut the cord as soon as possible and go with an interim guy probably brady hoke who's their defensive coordinator slash co-head coach or whatever his title is but it's interesting yeah i'm surprised everyone well not everyone but a lot of people were thinking that the hammer was going to fall after the Bama game, but not the case. So I guess he's going to get a, another shot at Kentucky here, where they're also underdogs. So man, they're we'll underdogs
0: versus Kentucky. They haven't lost to them in forever. Uh, that think I mean I'm running out of when the last straw would be. Uh, but for Alabama, they look good, and and the way it's setting up right now, Bama Georgia SEC title game. We know we got Georgia Florida, which could be a really one sided affair this weekend. But Georgia and Bama the class of the sec and a realistic chance going into that game undefeated with playoff implications of just seeding at that point
2: yeah absolutely if they're both undefeated there's a really good chance that even the loser makes it to the playoffs so there's a lot yet to shake out but i can't remember the last time we've had a really compelling looking sec championship game it's been a few years when it hasn't just been Bama head and shoulders above florida or whoever they've got in mizzou in the last few years in that game so I'm definitely hope that both of them win out and we get the best product possible for that one so we
0: also had on saturday we had a lot of interesting games this past saturday the night slate everyone looked forward to but it was a lot of beatdowns and it was a lot of surprising surprising beatdowns michigan gets destroyed by penn state and usc gets absolutely worked by notre dame of those two games was one more shocking to you was one to be expected did you have a you know, gauge into what you thought was going to happen, and did I'd that say up to it?
2: USC was the most shocking. I think Michigan's offense has been pretty bad for the entire season, and they have John McHorn back there at quarterback right now. So you figured that points are going to be at a premium for them against Penn State, and Penn State at home, especially with that out atmosphere, is extremely dangerous. So that one was pretty shocking with how bad they got beat down. But I'd say USC, like not even looking like they have a pulse, had a pulse against Notre Dame was. Incredibly bad. They just like right out of the gates, Sam Darnold fumbles and they're down two touchdowns after Notre Dame scores on their opening drive and before they can even get their footing in the game. So that's they've been pretty playing pretty like, I don't know, uptight, I guess mm-hmm. might be the la- right word for it. The last couple of weeks, they barely escaped against Utah at home the week before Notre Dame. So, yeah, this is an interesting team right now.
0: Yeah, Michigan, what shocked me was it was a one-point game at halftime, and they Mm -hmm. lost by 29. They didn't score in the second half of that game. Uh, But Penn State at night, nothing really surprises me with that team and what they're capable of. You knew when Barkley got going early that it was going to First be First run game. of his, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, that doesn't shock me as much. I've kind of come to happy terms with the fact that Michigan is going to be bad this year. <laughs> I'm sure. But USC, yeah, USC on, on that side of it, I don't know how their offense didn't show up. That's the part that gets to me. I thought Notre Dame could push that defense around. Uh, we, don't, I guess the USC line is as bad or worse than we thought that whole situation there Yeah, it looks that way right now. They were having to come from behind early. I mean, it it makes you one-dimensional. We talk about this USC offense, and their their title hopes are done now. But we talked about what they could do to get to the title picture, and it was a balanced attack, methodical drives. When you're down 21 in the first
2: quarter, you can't really do that. No. Their run game has actually been probably their strongest aspect of their offense throughout this entire early part of the season, but... For whatever reason, T. Martin or whoever, Clay Helton, isn't calling very many running plays. But obviously in this game, the game script kind of dictated that they'd have to air it out. And Sam Darnold took a lot of shots and ended up tweaking his ankle and getting taken out there at the end when it was already out of reach. But yeah, this is going to be an interesting team to watch the rest of the way. I mean, do the wheels just completely fall off or are they sort of going to find their footing like they did last year and reel off eight, nine in a row? We'll see. I mean... It feels like right now this is sort of two diverging paths this team can go down.
0: Yeah, it's it's true. Last year they had lost three games, found their footing, but there's nothing trending upward right now. And they got some tough conference games on deck, so we'll see what happens. Yeah,
2: one this weekend I'll have a pretty close eye on. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know you will. Well, we got the first playoff ranking coming up, um, but I want to look at the AP top 10 poll right now and just get a sense of where teams are. Bama, one off the top, Penn State, two, Georgia, three. And we just talked about Notre Dame putting it on USC. They looked great, a power running attack, good defense. How big does that Georgia win now over Notre Dame look?
2: Oh, it's huge. I think it's big for both of them because that was such a close game. And obviously, that being Notre Dame's only loss, the way that things break now, if they win out, they're probably going to make it in. A lot can go on. Big Notre Dame? Yeah, Notre Dame. if. A lot can go on in the Big 12. We'll see how that yeah. shakes out with the round robin. And then the Pac-12 looks like it's going to be shut out of the playoffs. So they're, they're a team to keep an eye on if they win out. I have got some tough games. but
0: I think the win
2: legitimizes Notre Dame,
0: but it hurts them that it's that Georgia team that I think they need Georgia to lose one more game. If Georgia just loses fair. the Bama in the title game, they're going to get the bid over yeah. Notre yeah. Dame because they beat them. And I'd have a hard time taking Notre Dame over even a one-loss conference champion that's where we might be now that big 12 could beat everybody up the pac-12 same thing and even you know depending on what happens in the acc but if you're asking me a one-loss clemson winning out or notre dame i
2: might win notre dame yeah because clemson would have that extra conference championship game and we've seen that the committee puts a huge emphasis on winning those conference championship games so far and yeah, but Clemson would have to stumble again, and there would have to be, as I mentioned, some chaos in the Big 12 for them to have a realistic shot, but plus their margin of error is nothing, so they have NC State this weekend, which will be a tough game, and then they play Miami a couple weeks down the road, and Stanford at the last game of the season for them, so they have a lot of work to do to make it, but the possibility is still there.
0: So I'll chat with Matt Wittenberg on the Money Mitch Effect college football talk as we get Past the halfway point of the season, hard to believe. That's flown by. I know, it really has. Well, so we got Alabama, one. Penn State, two. Georgia, three. TCU's four. After they knocked off that uh, Pop Warner team from uh, Lawrence, Kansas over yeah. the weekend. They're just re- ready <laughs>
2: for basketball season. I mean, that was...
0: They had <laughs> negative yardage of total in the game <laughs> waiting to the third quarter. So, TCU's fourth. They're just doing what they need to do. Speaking of which, Wisconsin, fifth. The schedule, not the hardest, but they're taking care of business as they improve to 7-0. and oh. Ohio State 6, big one coming up this weekend against that number thir- number 2 ranked Penn State. Then you have Clemson 7, Miami 8, two ACC teams, Notre Dame 9. Oklahoma 10 with Oklahoma State, Washington State, and Virginia Tech rounding out. We'll say the top 13. That's really where the line in the sand is drawn. Yeah. NC State gets Notre Dame this weekend. That's going to be a big game to see if they can vault back up. Washington State still reeling after uh, their loss, their, their beatdown to Cal. We said last week when I talked to Rob Crowder that there's about 17 or 18 teams at the time that are in the playoff potential. I'd say we could trim a few of those down, but we're still in double digits for teams that can make a realistic run of this.
2: Yeah, right around 12, 13, as you mentioned, for the topping out that list, it's... uh yeah, a long way here still to go, but I think that the chaos gods aren't quite done with this season. I'm sure we're going to see quite a bit more shakeup in the next couple weeks. The
0: ACC is fascinating to me right about now because Virginia Tech destroys North Carolina. Clemson is still sitting where they were, you know, still just horrible against the loss. Shout-out to Syracuse for also playing oh, a great game against Miami, too. Miami is the team that we're all expecting to lose, but you got to respect them yeah, they until it, they yeah. do it.
2: <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're going to be an interesting team to watch. They have the game against Notre Dame, which obviously wouldn't be a conference loss, but losing that game would hurt their playoff hopes. And then right now, it's all, all signs are pointing to them meeting up with Clemson in that ACC title game, which I, I'd be really excited to see. And then, I mean, Clemson still has to take care of NC State a little way down the road here, so we'll see.
0: Now, say what you want about Miami. They win close games, and that should mean something this point of the year. But it is very fascinating there because we have so much drama within conferences. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma had, was up against it against Kansas State. It was Bill Snyder textbook where you can play with anybody in that conference. And Oklahoma State probably should have lost to Texas the, they, the way that game was played.
2: so hapless on offense. That was really shocking to see. Just whatever I don't know what play calling it is in college football nowadays. It seems like teams like to do the opposite of what they're good at but that, that was definitely the case in the Texas game with them just trying all these weird like sort of like option pitches and like running plays with and not rolling really Mason Rudolph out that was a really bizarre game and they're frankly living on the edge right now too and they've got a tough one this weekend against uh, West Virginia on the road yeah,
0: I think the upset bug is going to be big into effect, and we're going to, in a moment, spend most of the time. We like to save uh, just a little bit of time, but I want to spend extra time previewing the games. But I got to let you talk about Arizona State. It's been about face, you know, the last couple of weeks. I mean, you you talked about hoping just to be okay, just to be borderline, and it looked more than okay the last couple of weeks.
2: Oh, I'm I have no idea where this defense came from, <laughs> but I mean, I'm not going to complain. This is yeah. If you told me that we were going to hold Washington and Utah to combine whatever it was, 13 points between the two of them, 20 points it might have been, I would absolutely have not believed it. I would have asked if these games were three or four years ago, but I'm pleasantly surprised yeah, the defense is playing with a ton of confidence, and the offense is getting a lot more methodical and mixing in a lot of run-pass stuff. Manny Wilkins is playing extremely well, and he's always a dual threat with the ball, too, and... Yeah, they have a huge test this week against USC, and when and who's to say how is going to go coming into that game, if they're going to be demoralized, tail hanging between their <laughs> legs, or if they're going to come out with some fight. So, yeah, ASU controls their own destiny for the Pac-12 South, which is something I didn't think I'd be saying at all wow. going into this year, and I would... You mentioned my thoughts earlier, but I would have been stoked with the bowl game going into the year. Right now, we're already at four wins, so yeah, it's looking it, extremely likely for a bowl game, if nothing else. Makes
0: you feel good about the rivalry game, too. Oh yeah, game as well,
2: Arizona's had a huge about face. Well, yeah, Khalil Tate being like the second coming of Michael Vick right now with all of his rushing yards and insane touchdown. But right, the only but,
0: program maybe in worse shape than Tennessee right now is UCLA because they just can't they can't stop anybody. Yeah. And they have a, a lottery ticket quarterback, and they can't win any games. So. And
2: Mora's buyout is supposedly in like... $10 million range, so he's in all likelihood going to stick around for at least next season. Funny, funny so. how these
0: buyouts work, right? You have <laughs> is high, Butch is high, Bielma's is the highest at Arkansas.
2: Yeah, it's like think those agents know what they're doing when they negotiate. Those but Saban games. has no buyout.
0: If I want to leave, I'm leaving. That's how good I know I am. So
2: Hey, I mean, if anyone can handle that deal, it's him. <laughs> well, a big slate
0: of games this weekend, and I want to say we're recording this while Stanford is currently losing to Oregon State, 7-3 to at the end of the first half. We don't know what the outcome of the game is, but if you knew that there was something wrong, I'm telling, speaking metaphorically to the listeners out there, that something was wrong with Price Love, and you got on this at Stanford minus 17, and you took the points for Oregon State, you are a genius. Or you're mm-hmm. withholding some information, but uh, that's how <laughs> some it works. insider trading going some on conference with that. games you never know about. Well, let's start. Especially right up. <laughs> on like Thursday
2: and Friday nights, exactly, those are right? always like the trap games. It feels like.
0: Well, we've seen it. I mean, we saw two top, uh, two top five teams go down. On the same Friday, so we're two top 16. There's something
2: to it. I don't know if it's the shorter week or, I don't know, just playing on the road, whatever the mindset is. It's definitely interesting. I'd love to see more research looked into that.
0: I want to get this one out of the way first. Kentucky and Tennessee. Does Kentucky beat Tennessee as favorites? Do they even cover, do they cover this spread is a better question because if you're watching this game and 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 you didn't go to Tennessee or Kentucky, you probably bet on it. I, I gotta think there's some remnants of talent. Although Tennessee just loses their running back, their best suspension. skill player through the suspension. Yeah.
2: I gotta think even in the
0: dumpster fire that is Tennessee, that they win this game.
2: That's so tough to say. Their offense has just looked hapless the last two, three weeks. No like,
0: offensive touchdowns in the month of October. This is it, their last chance. Yeah,
2: the among ranking among the worst as far as FBS offenses go. It's it's a home game for Kentucky. I'm sure they're amped up to finally get a piece of Tennessee being down. So Kentucky has been pretty good this season other than their debacle against late against Florida. So, I mean, I, I, I'd say yeah. i would lean towards them covering. what is it five and a half? Just four right oh, now. Four. Yeah, I I would lean towards them covering. But I mean, you think Kentucky I, wins? I, huh? I do. Yeah, I, mm. I just don't think Tennessee has anything left. They, they don't want to play for Butch Jones, and I that yeah. offense is disgusting. That's, when you, that's bad. when you
0: fire a coach because this would be them just not wanting to play, just giving up, and that's when you need to make the movement season, in my opinion. But wow, Kentucky favorite over Tennessee, unbelievable. I do have one game I want to mention in terms of a confidence in the betting world, yes or no. Can you believe that Louisville goes on the road to play Wake Forest? Just regular old Wake Forest Started as only no, Forest. as only three-point favorites with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. I know Lamar Jackson's been up and down, but if there's ever a time to have focus in him, to have faith in him, I think it has have to be right now.
2: Yeah, you would think. Three I, points, that's... Wake
0: Forest. This guy set records last year. <laughs>
2: Louisville's been one of the more surprising teams this year, too, especially, as you mentioned, with their reigning Heisman quarterback back at the helm. But, yeah, I, I I would definitely lean towards them covering that and probably winning by 10-plus. But Wake started out 4-0. They've lost, I think, three in a row now. So, I mean, they have some fight left in them. They held with Florida State decently well, but Florida State's proven to be <laughs> not great. So... Yeah, I think I'm with you on that Louisville pick. Got
0: to be the time for Omar Jackson. Got to be. Another ACC game that I think has trap potential. Clemson-Georgia Tech. Yeah. Clemson's first game in a while since the Syracuse upset. They're at home. We think a bounce back game. Two touchdown favorites against the Georgia Tech team. Probably should have beat Miami. And is a trap team by nature. Triple option. Paul Johnson. Yeah, that's I'll so tell cool. you, I like Georgia Tech to cover but not win here. I think this is going to be a close game.
2: I agree with you, yeah. The triple option teams are usually a good bet to cover too because they run, just run the clock and then teams on the other side can't get a lot going offensively when they're standing on the sideline. It's harder for them to get into rhythm. Plus, Georgia Tech's not a bad team at all either. They should have beaten Tennessee in week one too back when Tennessee looked like they had some sort of an offense. But yeah, I Clemson they're at home they've had a little bit of a buyout or buy-off a little bit of a layoff <laughs> pretty <laughs> much a buy-off I <laughs> and then sitting and stewing about that syracuse game but yeah I've, I've always been i've had a soft spot for georgia tech ever since i was a little kid because i like their logo so yeah. <laughs>
0: something about the letters gt
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly so well and then with the that yellow jacket on the front mm. is like boxing gloves yeah for whatever yeah. reason i i've got a soft spot for them and yeah, I like them to cover as well. A, a soft
0: spot for something that could kill humans. It yeah. has,
2: so I know that's cool. <laughs> I get it. It's all good fun. It's all
0: good. Uh, <laughs> all right, in our next one, our big game here, money, Mitch. In fact, one of our big games, Matt Wittenberg, Mitch Michaels, and one that I think could be the most competitive game of the day, West Virginia, Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Now, this one, I want everyone to pay close attention to because it's about the same betting scenario that we had last week for Oklahoma State touchdown favorite on the road. Yeah. The, te- the competition is much steeper than what a Texas team kind of still finding themselves would be. Yeah, I West will, Virginia can score. Though I will say, as, as far as if anybody like me was on West Virginia against Baylor last week where the spread was 8 points and West Virginia was up 23 <laughs> Sweet, in the yeah. fourth quarter and barely won. Yeah. I mean, my goodness. So, they didn't finish that game. Maybe they were looking ahead. I think... West Virginia has a like, decent chance to win outright in this game.
2: I agree, yeah. Their offense is really good. Will Greer's proven to be exactly what that team needed to turn their offense around with some pretty subpar quarterback play the last couple of years. And then former uh, middle school Lane Kiffin recruit David Sills leading the <laughs> touchdown. A generation Le- ago. the country in uh, receiving touchdowns. I think he's got 15, and the next closest guy has 8, which is absurd. So. If you're playing college football fantasy for whatever reason, make sure you got that kid in your lineup. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I, Oklahoma State. Yeah, their play calling looked so stagnant last week. I don't know what it what is going on with them, but I like West Virginia to win this game outright as well.
0: Here's look, I respect Rudolph, and, and their receivers are so good. And it wouldn't shock me if he went for 400 yards and tore it up. I mean, the over under in this game is in the 70s, but. Mm-hmm. There starts to be a trend for how to have success against Oklahoma State. TCU did it and Texas did it last week. Don't play a shootout. Do not just run up and down the field. West Virginia for as much for as much as they can put up points, Greer will put together long drives. Yep. So I think that's how they win this game. Not trying to go deep, go for the juggler, play to that tempo. Oklahoma State didn't like to play a slower game last week. You saw it, you saw them kind of press and get frustrated. At home for West Virginia, this is their game, this is their season. Mm-hmm. I think they could do it, too. So, we'll see. That's a game I'm really circling on the camera. Yeah,
2: it's going to be a really good one. It's a really good slate of games, as you mentioned, this weekend. I know. There certainly is.
0: And uh, I do want to give a shout-out to – we're both going to pick Iowa, but Iowa-Minnesota, old-school rivalry game. I got a thing for <laughs> Which, trophies. Is that the one for the pig? I think it's the pig. I think it – is that the roses? No. No. Yeah, that's the pig. Now we're now we're backtracking. Yeah, we'll look look into research. Iowa for that one. I was in like every single one of the big rivalry games.
2: Yeah, and all those crazy Big Ten trophy games. We'll
0: we'll figure it out by the end of the show. We'll we'll come back to that. But still, some other big games on the agenda. I want to make my way uh, to the Pac-12 to your game because we got to give it Arizona State USC. It's just due. And it is
2: the... Sorry, circling the Iowa-Minnesota, Floyd of Rosedale. It's the Rosedale. The pig, yeah. The, pig, the bronze yeah. pig. Okay. It's a pretty so cool we're, trophy. We're, we're sorry. <laughs> it is. It's
0: one of my favorite trophies. Low key. USC goes to Arizona State. New and improved. Revamped. Remodeled. Newly single Arizona State.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever it took, US, yeah.
0: <laughs> USC is only three-point favorites on the road. So... Something tells me this is not going to be a three point game. Either Arizona State's going to pull off the win in somewhat convincing fashion or USC's going to snap out of it. This would be a terrifying game to watch as a fan of either team.
2: Yeah, I can definitely see either scenario shaking out for sure. Uh, It's either going to be, yeah, USC by 10 plus or it's going to be ASU probably 3 4, something like that. But it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I alluded to it a little bit earlier about what sort of, like, how does USC respond going into this game? It's tough. It's a conference rivalry game on the road. Pac-12 after dark. The team that you're going up against is hyped up and playing their best football of the last couple seasons. So if this is the game where we learn if ASU's defense is really legit. And after coming after two huge defensive performances against Washington and Utah, if they're able to repeat that for a third time, then this team will have turned turn the corner and then takes a huge step in controlling their own destiny for winning the Pac-12 South with the rest of the division not looking great, Colorado being bad again, and then UCLA having more still at the range. So this is, yeah. yeah, this is a big time indication game for which team's going to take that step and assert themselves as Pac-12 South favorites. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little bit of a homer and think that ASU pulls this game okay. out just being at home and then with how awful USC all around look, like. Not just on defense, but how bad their offense looked last week. So, I think that the guy that Todd Graham's going to get the guys hyped up to play, wow. and that uh, yeah, that Sparky takes the win probably by I, like I said, three or four.
0: I like this Arizona State team. I like the direction you're going into. But with all due respect to you, Phil Mickelson, Zane Gonzalez, Kenny <laughs> Vasquez, I gotta go with USC in this one. That's they have to wake up for this game. I mean, this is just. It, it it turns into the season from hell if they lose this game. I mean, oh, it really does. And you got to think that after a loss, that there's nothing left to you know. This team could still theoretically make a run at the Rose Bowl or at not maybe not the Rose Bowl because the playoff, but mm-hmm. at a Big Ten bowl game, pack 12 championship. Yeah, if they so. went
2: out. Yeah, they'll definitely. I mean, they're USC, so they'll always get that sort of USC bump, and they'll be in the conversation for whatever uh, the New Year Six bowls that aren't. I think it's a Fiesta Bowl that aren't mm-hmm. in this playoff this year. So. Yeah, they still do have a lot to play for. Still have a conference championship potentially at stake, so we'll see. I don't know if Helton's the greatest motivator, though, so he's been taking a lot of flack and probably deservedly so the last couple weeks. How about this game?
0: Another game that I have my eye on for all the reasons right and wrong, NC State Notre Dame. NC State knows how to play. They're an underrated team, and they play Notre Dame tough just about year in, year out. They beat them last year in that ring game. Yeah, Notre Dame. Hurricane, yeah. was such looked,
2: an ugly game. It was so bad. Notre Dame <laughs>
0: looks good. The Browns drafted Kaiser, and then I think they got that version of him. Yep. But Notre Dame's a seven-point favorite. At home over NC State. That seems like a little bit of a reach for me. Seven. Yeah. This is another one where I think Notre Dame wins by about a field goal.
2: Yeah, I I think I agree with you on that one. NC State's front seven, especially, is really good. and Obviously, Notre Dame's offensive strength is uh, running the ball, so that's definitely the matchup to watch in this one, if they're able to establish that run game early with Wimbush and their running backs, so and proven to be really good on offense their quarterback uh, ryan finley's actually from went to high school out in arizona and he's had a pretty good year so yeah definitely one to watch in a loaded slate this could like be the low-key game of the weekend other than ohio state and penn state two physical teams as well
0: and you mentioned the front seven that's how you beat notre dame that's how georgia did it that's what usc didn't have they can Mm -hmm. neutralize that power running game they can keep it interesting. I'm still not sold on the, the NC State offense as having enough playmakers to, to do, especially on the road. If they were at home, down touchdown dogs, I might lean to think money on yeah, here. Yeah, then, that,
2: then that's a lower spread. But, but yeah,
0: it's uh, <laughs> NC State not to be messed with. All right, more games to talk. Money Mitch Effect, Matt Wittenberg. Here's one for you. Georgia, Florida. And I'm riding the dogs heavy. Thirteen and a half points. I love it. I think Georgia destroys the Skaters team.
2: It looks great on paper. Georgia always seems to come out flat in that game, though. They've, I believe they've lost the last three to Florida. It's in Jacksonville. It's got the neutral site feel. So, I mean, this is, yeah, as I alluded to ASU earlier, this is when we know if Georgia turned the corner. If they're able to just come in, take care of business, stomp Florida, which they should, then this team is for real. But... It's a rivalry game, it's one of those neutral site games, and as I mentioned, they've lost the last three in the series, so there's something about, I don't know what it is, that if Florida just gets out more for this game and Georgia just plays down, but I, I agree with you, I just want to throw out that word of caution to people riding the dogs so heavy that mm-hmm. there's precedent for them not showing up in this game before. Florida's offense is almost as bad as Tennessee's, so, I mean, that'll (laughs) give you a little bit of reassurance, but... Right, even a slow
0: start like Georgia had against Tennessee, and they were still able to win by 40. But, yeah, the rivalry game adds a twist to it. It certainly does. Before we get to the game, no surprise what that is, but I do want to go over some of my... We'll call them best bets from the games that we didn't talk about so far. Uh, and and I'll tell you what I like right off the top. Washington State on the road, minus three Arizona. I think they're going to have a good game, a bounce-back game. I don't think Leach is going to just take that loss in stride. I like them on the road there. I
2: hope you're right. Anytime Arizona (laughs) is able to lose, especially at home, I'm all for it. Washington State's defense is surprisingly good this season. Obviously laid laid an egg against Cal. Give me Iowa State. Plus six
0: and a half at home against TCU. Ooh, They're not I was, bad. Iowa State, the giant killers. This I, I'm season. not ready to say outright win, okay, even though that's okay. in play. But the points at home, I think
2: they've been giant killers. In Ames, yeah. I like that. That's a sleepy place to play. Teams have a t- 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 tough time, if I can talk, yeah. tough time <laughs> getting up for a game there. So, yeah, Iowa State sneaky good this year, too. Right, too.
0: I like Texas Tech as 20-point dogs to cover against Oklahoma. Just, Oklahoma just their defense is not that good, and they're know, gonna they're gonna play tighter games with just about everybody. Even Baylor yeah, played them in
2: a tight game. Yeah, you as know, well. it's just gonna be a point of palooza in that one too. And yeah, I mean, twenty is a ton for anyone. So especially Texas Tech can score too. So I mean, I, I definitely agree with you on that one.
0: The last two I wanted to just briefly mention were Houston on the road at South Florida plus eleven. South Florida's good, but are they that good? I don't know. I think the schedule's been pretty favorable. And in a pick 'em game, just straight up. I like A and M and coach someone over Mississippi State at home.
2: Yeah, I agree. They <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're another I, team that's really right righted the ship so far. He was on probably the hottest hot seat of any coach going into this season and looks like now, yeah, he's gonna be sticking around in college station.
0: I mean we're gonna talk about Mississippi State's record, but they get beat by every good team they play. Mm-hmm. Except for LSU who yeah. got good after them, but Very true. Uh, we'll see what happens there. All right. Matt Wittenberg, the time to talk Ohio State, Penn State, 6-3, versus three, Ohio State. Well, let's not go that far. That <laughs> might be a little blasphemy, but I'll, I'll allow it. Uh, Ohio State and Michigan and Ohio State. Penn State was unranked last year when they ended Ohio State's perfect season. Still some bad blood from the fact that Ohio State got the playoff berth. Penn State didn't. These two teams, these two coaches have put together great programs. But if I were to ask you what the key to this game would be for each team to win, what would you say?
2: Key for Ohio State is super obvious, and I'm not going to be uh, breaking any uh, breaking down any walls that people didn't know of, but, I mean, Key in on 26, Saquon Barkley, if you're able to make them one-dimensional and make Trace McSorley throw it 20, 30 times, that's not their game. That's not He's not that type of quarterback. He's a guy who likes to scramble as well. So if they're able to key in on I don't know use that front seven, throw in a linebacker spy, whatever whatever the case may be, key in on Saquon Barkley who which no one's really been able to do this so far this season. That's why he's the Heisman frontrunner at this moment. So yeah, if they're able to limit him to I don't know 50, 60 yards and maybe a touchdown then, then they're in really good shape and then they're able probably to use more of their sort of dual threat ability right. with JT Barrett and control the clock a little bit more. Well, I think,
0: first of all, as far as the Heisman goes, I've been slower than most with anointing Saquon, Mm Barkley, But this is his game. This is his time to shine. He has a great game here. They win. He's right at the top of the list and probably there to stay. So that's what's at stake for him. Yeah, it's a Um, big one. I can't stress enough how important the start of this game is, given the nature of it, the magnitude of it, but also how these two teams fare when they start fast or slow. Ohio State... Thrives on fast tempo, quick points, let's move. In the games they've lost, to Oklahoma this year, mm-hmm. last year to Penn State, they're lethargic to start out. Penn State, it's been like that almost every other week with them. They either start out really slow, have to battle back, and then find their groove, or Saquon Barkley yeah. scores on the first round of the game. And I don't think either team can really afford to get away with that ultra-slow start this week.
2: No, absolutely not. With so much at stake, this game in all likelihood being for the division and then probably being... a essentially a playoff spot if they're able to beat likely Wisconsin in the conference championship. So, yeah, there's the stakes don't get any higher in this game. And I like the fact for Ohio State that it's at home in the shoe, and obviously they're going to be amped up after taking the loss last year in Happy Valley. But, yeah, it's, it's all about stopping 26 for them. And then Ohio State needs to get a little bit more balanced on offense as well. Yeah, commit to the
0: running game, but don't overcommit to the running game. And any Ohio State fan knows what I mean by that. If they get complacent, if Barrett's not making any throws, if the receivers aren't involved in the offense, it changes everything. I think Ohio State's defense has the tools, has the, the front seven, the front four mm-hmm. to limit Barkley, but it's a hypothetical. It's easier said than done. It's a go lot easier said than done, no um, doubt.
2: No one's been able to really do it so far. And then, obviously, they've had the experience of playing him last year, so whatever they're able to build on to give them that confidence, I mean, yeah. I think I'm leaning towards – Unfortunately, leaning towards Penn State winning this got. ball game. but it's yeah, it's going to be a tough one for sure. Penn State is six point
0: favorites, or Ohio State, excuse me, is six point favorites mm-hmm. at home in this game coming off the bye. Penn State off of the beatdown against Michigan. If Penn State wins, I mean, they're looking down on their schedule to a, to a showdown with Wisconsin again in the Big Ten title game. Michigan State's a trap team in there. Ohio State would have to beat Michigan and Michigan State, which is conceivable at this point in the year. I uh, think to Penn State loses again. So here's what I think. I think Penn State's going to win too. I don't want to be uh, a negative. I hope I'm dead wrong. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I want it to happen, but I think Penn State's a better team this year. Just unbiasedly, I think they are. I think this game being at home is a huge lift for Ohio State. But I think this game goes about the route of thirty one twenty seven Penn State. Ooh, Ooh,
2: high scoring, especially for a Big Ten game. I like it. Well, I, ho- I hope it's it high, high sh- scoring. I mean, it's high scoring for a, gen-
0: for a generic Big Ten game. But right, not this it's Big 10 Purdue
2: game. and Rutgers. Yeah,
0: Over-under is, you know what? Over-under is 59, so I'm a little okay. a little over. Or 57 and a half, I should say. I went with 59, So we'll, or 58, so we'll see. I'm right there. I'm thinking like Vegas for this one. And just to be <laughs> fair, Matt Wimberg, thanks for coming on the show. I just want to point out that... I picked against my favorite school, your school, Sean Sullivan's school, Rob Crowder's school. I went against
2: <laughs> us all this so week. Not non-discriminatory. <laughs> so not uh, discriminatory. I hate everybody. Okay. Hey, at least yeah. This if, is if nothing else, you're you're completely unbiased, which, complete, which we can respect. I, for, I had to take ASU in the Homer pick okay, this week. That's so fair. Hopefully, that's, it pans out for that's me. That's fair.
0: But all right, Matt Winberg, <laughs> this was fun. Halfway down with the season, but still a lot of football left. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch
2: Absolutely, can't wait.
0: That's it for today's show. Big thanks again to both our guests, Brandon Marcus and Matt Wittenberg, for taking the time to appear on the show. And thanks again to Tim Adams for supplying the beats and Brian Nelson for supplying the logo and when I watched that Thursday night game, a shout out to Joe Flacco. Hope he's feeling well. That was a vicious hit with Tico Alonso. I got to say, Jensen, the lineman for the Ravens, standing up for his teammate, looking good. I'm, I always appreciate that. And I am no Ravens fan, along with Harbaugh, the coach, standing up for him, but Ugh, scrum, Don't even get me started on how, uh, <laughs> how That could go But uh, again thanks to all the guests out there Thanks to everybody for listening you can Find this podcast as well as all the episodes Of the Money Mitch Effect on iTunes, SoundCloud And Google Play Just search Money Mitch Effect and it comes right up you know what it is, you can leave a rating Write a review, subscribe, do whatever you want uh, But thanks again for listening We got a couple shows next week We're going to talk football as well As baseball, hockey Heating up heating up indeed and the NBA we got to do a formal NBA preview I think I'm going to go back into the uh, the expert Rolodex I have and find someone to do just that but thanks again for listening if you're going to a Halloween party this week live it up have fun be safe I am Mitch Michaels this was the Money Mitch Effect I'll see you next time you know keep enjoying sports